Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is a program of Jazz Loft Jam Sessions, a special episode of the Jazz Loft radio series from WNYC. I'm Sarah Fishko. This Jam Sessions episode was made in response to a question often asked about the Jazz Loft material, where can I hear these jam sessions at greater length? You'll be able to hear some in this episode. In the 1940s and 50s, jazz musicians flocked to New York. They were looking for a sense of community, other musicians to play with, and above all, a place to play, where they wouldn't be thrown out for making too much noise. There was a place way up in the Bronx, a subway ride. Bass player Bill Crow came looking in 1950. In the wintertime, the room was cold and the piano was out of tune, but we would still go there because it was a place they would let you play. The late pianist Dick Katz, who came in 46, remembered some spots in Harlem, Minton's and Small's Paradise. The way it worked was you go uptown and play all night. That's where those guys perfected their art, not on the job. Vibraphonist Teddy Charles studied at Juilliard in the 40s and then declared himself a jazz player and discovered the loft scene, mostly illegal spaces in industrial neighborhoods where players gathered. And Charles actually moved into one. I had to go up five flights of stairs with these vibes that weighed 230 pounds. I was very strong then. Five flights of stairs and hot as hell in the summer. Boy, it was hot there. But still, all the stuff was going on was great. That five-story hot box was the building we now know as the Jazz Loft. Lofts like that one made possible a particular luxury, the extended jam session. Drummer Ron Free reveled in it. Hearing in public, then there has to be a certain polish and a certain uh, professionalism. But in a loft, you know, you could make clinkers and you could learn tunes and you could practice new licks and so forth that you might not want to attempt on a paid gig because they're paying you to know what you're doing. When nobody's around and you're just among yourselves, that's when the best jazz happens. Really incredible stuff. You take chances on things. The real excitement of jazz is taking chances. Whether you make it or not, you try for something, even if it doesn't happen. And that's what makes jazz really exciting. So the priority for these players was a place they could play music, unobserved, uninterrupted, unscheduled, uninhibited. When they found 821 6th Avenue, the jazz loft, through friendships and word of mouth, they were ecstatic. It was in the Flower District, the commercial neighborhood that emptied out at night. And various inhabitants of the place had stocked it with pianos, there were several tuned pianos on the premises and a tuned drum kit. In this hour, we'll hear some of the jam sessions that resulted from those very sympathetic conditions. The tapes you'll hear in the next hour were recorded by photographer W. Eugene Smith, a music-loving master photographer who lived in the loft building and set out to photograph and record everything that happened there between about 1957 and 1965. The thousands of hours of tapes were discovered in the Smith Archive by Sam Stevenson, author of the book, The Jazz Loft Project, and they were organized and researched by Stevenson and Dan Partridge at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke. With all the pianos in the loft building, plenty of piano players came to play. Here's our first jam session recorded unobtrusively by W. Eugene Smith in March of 1960. It's Dave McKenna, piano, Fred Greenwell, sax, Bill Takas, bass, and Ron Free drums. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to Jazz Loft Jam Sessions, and I'm Sarah Fishko. That was Dave McKenna, piano, with Fred Greenwell, sax, Bill Takas, bass, and Ron Free, drums, recorded in the now-celebrated Jazz Loft, a dingy building musicians once loved to play in. This is a somewhat paradoxical program because these jam sessions had no intended outcome. In fact, that's one of the most compelling aspects of this whole project. None of this was meant to be listened to by anyone. The goal of these jam sessions was to have jam sessions, to work things out among themselves, the musicians, and to be doing at length and with no restrictions what they loved to be doing most, playing music together. So to listen to them at all is to hear something we're not used to hearing, certainly not in this era, when everything, every two-word phrase or three-second thought or rambling analysis has an outcome and can be listened to or watched or read online. These are not performances, and they're not rehearsals. These guys, and yes, it is all guys in the case of these particular jam sessions from the Jazz Loft, these guys are just playing, and most of them didn't know or care that tape recorders were rolling. The late Jimmy Stevenson was a bass player in residence at the loft for a while. He said the atmosphere was fluid in the extreme. We talked one minute, and the next thing you know, we'd all grab our instruments, and that would be it. We might play for three or four hours without stopping. I mean, it, it happened many times. It would be almost like entering into a trance, and at the end, you're going, that was something else. You know, everybody kind of smiled. Yeah. <laughs> Playing behind me has been the beginning of a session with pianist Bill Potts, our reliable loft regular drummer, Ron Free, and about to enter is tenor sax player Zoot Sims, one of the most frequent and fluent jammers in the loft world and one of the most admired. This is from 1960. Thank you. 
Zoot Sims, tenor sax. Bill Potts, piano with Ronnie Free, drums. These are some Jazz Loft jam sessions, part of the Jazz Loft radio series produced at WNYC. Thanks to photographer and loft resident W. Eugene Smith, who turned his tape recorders on in the Jazz Loft in 1957, we can hear these sessions, which were not intended for broadcast or even to be heard at all, which is part of their charm. The Jazz Loft building had all these pianos in its various apartments and spaces, some of them better instruments than others. But some of these pianists made them sound a lot better than they were. Paul Blay lived right down the street from the loft, a little ways down 6th Avenue. He said he visited the loft at number 821 very often. You could go there from uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You could go in uh, those four nights at any time. And if you walked up the stairs, the drummer would be playing brushes on a yellow page telephone book. And it could be Charlie Parker playing saxophone with brushes and saxophone. I mean, don't expect a snare drum. Maybe so, but in this loft session from 1964, it's Paul Blay with Jimmy Stevenson bass, Roland Alexander tenor sax, Eddie Listengart trumpet, and a drummer Lex Humphreys playing on real drums. Thank you. 
play at one of the Jazz Loft pianos with Jimmy Stevenson bass, Roland Alexander tenor sax, Eddie Listengard trumpet, and Lex Humphreys on drums. Jazz Loft jam sessions are the feature of this hour, a kind of extra episode of the Jazz Loft radio series. I'm Sarah Fishko. What was the big deal about playing in a loft? Vibes player Teddy Charles had an answer for me. The guys who went there to play went for two things, to learn and to have fun playing, which is a hard thing to do. Very few clubs are ever like that. Concert halls are never like that, you know. Well, the fact is that these various musicians, all different kinds, shapes and forms, could come in and just do what they wanted to do and make something happen with it. And this cross-pollinization between various styles and ideas of music, and it came together, and it worked. Maybe not right then and there on the spot, but subsequently. Another example, Sonny Clark. He had a short, turbulent life as a jazz pianist. He died in January of 1963 at only 31. This session, it's a bit of a mystery. We know it's Clark from the scratchy writing on Gene Smith's original tape box. But no one has been able to identify the other players, try though they might. So Sonny Clark, in a rare jam session sometime in the late 1950s or 1960, we think, recorded in the jazz loft. Thank you. 
This is an hour of Jazz Loft Jam Sessions produced at WNYC. I'm Sarah Fishko, and I wish I could tell you more about that jam session recorded at the storied Jazz Loft on 6th Avenue between 28th and 29th Streets sometime in the late 1950s. Sam Stevenson and Dan Partridge at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke researched thousands of hours of these tapes, often by going to the source or some related source talking to some surviving musicians and hoping for a memory or some insider knowledge to kick in. In this case, all that is known is that Sonny Clark was the pianist. The other players are yet to be identified. Chick Corea coming up next. I'm Sarah Fishko. Life in the loft in the 1950s and 60s seemed to be maybe a little less stratified, a little less prestige-conscious than things are now, if one is to believe the tapes. Of course, there were jazz megastars and complete unknowns and everything in between, but they all hung out together and played together. As long as you could play, you could join in. As Bob Brookmeyer said, if you could play, you were invited, and if you couldn't play, you were disinvited. And that apparently happened a few times. In any case, Chick Corea, who was becoming a star even then in the early 60s, turned up and played with Jimmy Stevenson on bass and Joe Hunt on drums. 
As you listen to this very atmospheric track, it may help to remember that this was not a club, not a loft as we know lofts today. It was a pretty down-at-the-heels place, which Harry Columbi, who was Thelonious Monk's manager at the time, remembers well. I remember the flower district uh, and how at night, how empty it was. Man, I could park anywhere. I remember that. I was very happy about that. Those creaky stairs, the odor was uh, really special. I could... If I was uh, Proust, I would probably, you know, remembers of things past, I would uh, do a stream of consciousness now and probably recall it and probably be able to describe it better. But I could pick it out. I could pick it out of, a, of an odor lineup. <laughs> I could pick it. It was special. So with that vivid description in mind, here's Chick Corea with Jimmy Stevenson and Joe Hunt.
Chick Corea, a visitor to the Jazz Loft, with Jimmy Stevenson on bass and Joe Hunt on drums from the early 1960s. There are some much more virtuosic Chick Corea sessions, too. Here's a taste of one with the same group. This time the pianist is in a different mood altogether.
Chick Corea chewing up and swallowing the piano at the Jazz Loft with Joe Hunt on drums and Jimmy Stevenson on bass. All these sessions were recorded by the photographer W. Eugene Smith for reasons that are somewhat mysterious. He said he was doing a project about the loft, but now, more than 40 years after Smith's death, the project is being done by others. Sam Stevenson, who wrote a book, The Jazz Loft Project, and who has another related book coming out soon, and WNYC, which has produced hours of radio stories, profiles, and specials, as well as WNYC Studios, whose first feature-length documentary film was released this past fall and is called The Jazz Loft, According to W. Eugene Smith. The thing about jam sessions is that they were meant to satisfy the players themselves rather than any audience. Bill Crow, a bass player and an author and loft regular, told me more about it. You play what makes you feel good. Uh, You try to get into a place creatively where you're thinking of good ideas and pleasing your peers that you're playing with, you know. That kind of playing is what keeps you feeling like you're a player. If you're not working every day, then you need to play a lot in the days that you're off or you start feeling like, gee, am I really in this world, you know? And the jam session is one of the ways that that happens. The loft was a great place. been an hour of Jazz Loft Jam Sessions, an extra added attraction of the Jazz Loft radio series. It was produced at WNYC with the co-production and technical direction of Edward Haber and the extraordinary tapes of W. Eugene Smith, found in the Smith Archive at the Center for Creative Photography at the University of Arizona and digitized and researched by Sam Stevenson with Dan Partridge at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. Special thanks to Chick Corea Productions and to the heirs of W. Eugene Smith. I'm Sarah Fishko. Jazz Loft Jam Sessions is made possible in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts.